0: Please turn in your Bibles to the book of Philippians, book of Philippians, and we'll be studying the end of verse 18 um, through verse 26 this morning. A couple things I want to hit on Uh, as far as home groups go. Uh, our home group won't be meeting today uh, Because of the baby shower So, um, However, you are welcome to reach out to myself or Liz My, my contact information is in the bulletin um, If you would like to join our home group We meet right after church at our house um, The second thing would be the members classes If you're interested in learning about membership at Ridgeview um, uh, Jaden mentioned those days We'd love to schedule um, or to see who is interested before we go forward. So if you think about it, pray about it, and, and if you'd like to text me and, or email me, my information's in the in the bulletin as well for that purpose so that we can have, be prepared for the class with all the proper materials. Um, if you remember last week, verses 12 through 18, um, where we, we just were just, where Paul gave a reason for his joy, right? He gave a reason for joy at the end, there in verse 18 he found his joy in the proclamation of Christ it wasn't found in the um, opinions of other people like the opinions that people had about him that's not where his joy was found it was in the proclamation of Christ it wasn't found in um, his situation he he wasn't going to lose joy because of the suffering he was in it was in the fact that the message about Jesus that Jesus loved him and died for him and for it, it that message was being furthered on, even in suffering, even in the midst of people trying to afflict Paul. And in this passage, Paul's also talking about joy. He's talking about um, joy. However, it's not a joy found by looking back, but he's, it's a joy that he's finding looking ahead. He looks ahead and declares, yes, and I will rejoice. And, and he's going to share why, where that joy comes. And I'll tell you right now, it comes from Christ. So let's read, let's read the passage and pray, and then we'll, we'll get into that. So this is Philippians 1, and I'll just read the last few lines of verse 18 through 26. The word of God says, yes, and I will rejoice, for I know that through your prayers and the help of the spirit of Jesus Christ, this will turn out for my deliverance. As it is my eager expectation and hope that I will not be at all ashamed, but that with full courage, now as always, Christ will be honored in my body, whether by life or by death. For to me to live is Christ, and to die is gain. If I am to live in the flesh, that means fruitful labor for me, yet which I shall choose I cannot tell. Let's pray. Father, you know, uh, you know our needs more than anyone else in the world. You know our hearts. Nothing is hidden from your sight. And, and God, I ask that if there is a burden um, on anyone's heart this morning, I pray that you will lift that burden onto the shoulders of Christ. And that no one will leave this room hopeless, fearful, but with rock-solid confidence in who Jesus is and what that means for them right now and into eternity. May no one leave in fear. May no one give in to fear. And may, may we also leave with a resolve to... to follow you, to have over our lives the banner to live as Christ, to die as gain over each one of our hearts and lives and out of our mouths and in our hands. Um, Please work that today, God, by your spirit. Help me. You know, you know my failings. Help me to be clear. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. So this... Is this passage? It contains a uh, probably one of the best descriptions of a, a Christian mission and vision statement. A Christian mission and vision statement, because it, it, it addresses all the fundamental questions related to our existence, to a Christian's existence. What do we do now? For whom do you do it? How do you do it? What's going to accomplish this? where is this all going what do we ultimately want our mission to achieve and i think paul shared this to the philippians and and to us by way of his letter to the philippians so that we would affirm this as our mission this this as our mission and 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 in my prayer is that this gets applied to, to us in, in every bit of way as, as Paul desired it for to be applied to them and even even someone who hasn't seen this as their mission or their vision for their life may even today see this is a good way to live this this passage describes a good way to live what's the mission and vision it's it's 21 it's verse 21 and it's very a, a known verse very common <clears throat> memorable i would say for me, to live is Christ, and to die is gain. For me, for to me, to live is Christ, and to die is gain. Let's walk through that passage, this passage, and see why Paul says that. Why does Paul say, for to me, to live is Christ, and to die is gain? So we can see for ourselves and joyfully declare that. Over our, over our own lives. Yes, for to me to live is Christ, and to die is, is gain. Once we have done that, we will um, be, be close to identifying, or, or excuse me, sorry, once we've done that, we need to close by, uh, by seeing the way that God does it. How is God accomplishing that? Type of resolve in a person. What is the means God is using? So let's see how Paul gets to that statement—to to live as Christ, to die as gain—and then to see how Paul describes the means God is using for someone to 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 live that out in their life. So first, so he he says at the beginning here, "Yes, and I will rejoice." Why is Paul joyful? So let's just walk through this passage. He is, he, is, he is joyful because he is confident in future deliverance. That's why he's joyful. He knows that there's a future in, in store, and he doesn't see all of it, but he does see all of it. He does see what's ultimately happening in his future. Now, what does Paul mean by deliverance? This is very key, I think to understanding this passage and, how, and, and seeing that it's a mission statement. It's not just a circumstance thing for Paul. This, is, this applies to every one of our lives. A quick read of the passage in verse 19, and you, would, you, you might think that Paul sees deliverance only as getting out of jail. I've got to get out of this circumstance. That is deliverance. And so often that's how we view deliverance in life. I've got this bad circumstance, and everything will be better once that thing, you know, that circumstance goes away. So, let's see how this could be that. So, Paul, he's, these, these Philippian supporters, these, these brothers and sisters in Christ, they are praying for Paul's deliverance. That's what, it's, it says they're praying for Paul in verse 19, right? And so, um, and then, and then and at the end of that, the passage, Paul believes that one day he's going to return, in body, not just in the spirit. In body, he's going to return. So he's in jail. They're praying for him. He's pray- for his deliverance. And, and, and at verse 25 and 26, Paul concludes, I believe I'm going to return to you. And therefore, we could say, well, he wants to be delivered from prison. He wants to be delivered from prison. And that's not untrue. That's, I, I think that, that could be part of the prayer. But however these Philippians are praying for Paul in verse 19, through your prayers. However, they're praying for him. Paul does not define deliverance as release from prison. He doesn't see deliverance as release from prison. Let, follow the argument here and see what, what he sees as deliverance. Paul sees deliverance as salvation. Let me, let's see how he gets there. So, verse 19. End of verse 18. He makes his first statement. Yes, and I will rejoice. For I know that through your prayers, the Philippians prayers, and the help of the Spirit of Jesus Christ, this will turn out for my deliverance. Yeah, okay. Sure seems like he's still talking about prison here. Right? In verse 20, he's going to give a description of what deliverance is going to mean. As it is, right? As it is. This will turn out for my deliverance. Look at verse 20. As it is, or in accord with, accordingly, it is my eager expectation and hope that I will not be at all shamed. So it still seems to talk about prison, right? Prison could end shamefully. For example, what if Paul dies? A loser in prison. That seems shameful, but he doesn't stop there. Keep, just keep going on here. Not at all ashamed, but that with full courage... Now as always Christ will be honored in my body whether by life or by death. What is Paul's understanding of deliverance? It can't be deliverance from prison. It can't be anything in this in this temporary life ultimately. It can't be related ultimately to the circumstances that he finds himself in. Prison is not the issue. Paul's deliverance is found in courageously honoring Christ in life or even in death. Prison is not the problem for Paul to overcome. That's not the ultimate problem for to overcome. It's a real problem. It's a real problem. But nothing in this life is ultimately at issue for Paul. He doesn't look to the things of this world, his circumstances. He's not looking to those and defining his, his deliverance and success based on those things. He looks to how Christ is treated in all circumstances he finds himself. What, what is my life In all these circumstances, what is my life going to say about Jesus? That is what he's asking. Prison, sickness, lost my job, fill in the blank circumstance of life. It's a canvas for Paul. It's a canvas where I can apply honor to Christ or I can bring shame to myself. Now, this, is, it, it, this completely changes the tone of the text for me, and it did when I was studying it this week. Paul, he's talking about joy and rejoicing in a, in a, in a bright future, isn't it? It's, it's, it's a bright future. He sees where this is all going. However, it's not a naive joy. This is not a blind to the realities of life kind of joy. He's not, and we know that, right? He's in prison. Um, but often we can, we can think that. Paul is not naive, though he is. He is soberly joyful. He is. He's seriously joyful. He's. He's. He's looking, he, and and probably I would say for a Christian, we should be more soberly joyful than any any other person on, on the planet. Let's, let's look. At, let's look at that. Why? So he's, or look at why that is. So Paul is in jail. He's suffering, and he states in the passage his suffering could lead to death right it could lead to death How, you know he's going to go to this and this is a real thing but he's going to go to a tribunal and he's been arrested for proclaiming Christ for the defense of the gospel and what he says before that tribunal could mean death or it could mean life like real death real release so he's, he's not he's not naive to suffering like what he says when he's before that tribunal could mean a terrible, painful end. But he's not, he's not naive to suffering. He's thinking about it. He's thinking about what this could mean. What, 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 what could these days ahead mean? Not, not everything's going to be sunshine and roses. Not everything is going to be easy. You know, so, so few of us think about death. The world doesn't want to think about death. You look at the, you look at the statistics... Most quite a few people don't don't want to to think about death, but Paul is thinking about dying, and it's a sober moment for him. Everybody wants a peaceful end, right? And if we think about death, we want a peaceful end. But what if it's not? What if it's not gonna be peaceful? What if there is suffering? What if there is loss? What if it's not fair? What if it's an unjust end? What if it's like Paul? Like, we, we can't imagine. We don't think about it in this terms. But there are Christians in this world today who are thinking about death in this context. My identification with Christ could result in death. It could result, and for Paul, it could result in freedom. If he, brings, if he denies Christ... Or if he, accepts, if, he, if he holds fast to Christ, it could result in death. He's not naive to suffering. And not only that, he, he, we're not only aware as, as, as Christians of, of suffering, we know that we will stand before God one day and give an account for our lives. That is biblical truth. Everyone will. Everyone will. And we, too, along with others, will stand before God and give an account for our lives, so we should look soberly at the prospect of death. If you don't believe God exists, you know, thrash and curse and do anything to take the pain away. But if you believe in Jesus, you believe God exists. You know, you will give an account. Everyone will give an account, and so you know the end matters. Will it be a, a good end? So then, so so we think about life and death differently. It's an inherently Christian thing to do. What will my living say about Jesus? What will my, what will my dying say about Jesus? Will it honor him? Or will, will I be ashamed? And you see here, seeing that Paul's not just talking about prison, he's talking about how life motivation, regardless of circumstances, shame is the alternative to honoring Christ. Shame is that the alternative, that's, that's for the alternative for not being delivered. It's shame. Paul doesn't want to be ashamed at the appearing of Christ. And, and I don't want to be ashamed. Like in Philippians 3, he's going to talk about people that don't follow Christ and they glory in their shame. Paul doesn't want that the end to be like that. He wants to go with resolve, even to death, to glorify Christ. Is it going to do that? Is my death going to bring glory to Jesus? Or will I be ashamed? So Christian joy is a sober joy. We're not more ser- we probably look, should look more seriously at life and death than anyone else. Everybody else, you can kind of live in denial. And, and, and just kind of shove it all away. And forget about it. But for us, we live soberly. And Paul's doing so. He's giving us a good example of living, ser- living soberly. Living seriously with with joy now if this if a christian is more sober and more serious looking at the future and the thought of being ashamed the thought of suffering and how am i going to respond to that does paul believe that his salvation is held by a thread or on is it is it is it so so insecure that like it's this glass Bowl that he's holding together, and one drop is going to shatter. Paul doesn't see the future that way. Though he's all he's all those things, he's serious, he's sober, he's joyful because he has confidence. There is an immense confidence that overwhelms the very thought of of uh, of loss. He's not terrified. His thoughts of death and shame, they don't lead to despair. They don't lead to, is this this, this uncertain? He is joyful. He is hopeful. He is expectant. He looks ahead with confidence. When When he stands before a human judge, I will not be ashamed. But with full courage, I will say, Yes, I follow Jesus. Yes, Jesus is the one you should follow too. He wants to honor Christ with his words. Despite the thought of death, despite the thought of shame, he is hopeful, confident, expectant that Christ will be honored. Why is Paul hopeful? Wait, Let's look at the, the answer is this mission and vision statement. I will not at all be ashamed, but with full courage, now as always, Christ will be honored in my body, whether by life or death. For, for, to me, to live is Christ, and to die is gain. That is why Paul is hopeful. Notice how both Paul's confidence in, his confidence in, and, and even the goal of honoring Christ they're rooted in how he sees who Jesus is right now. He sees who Jesus is right now, and that gives him confidence for the future. Why does Paul want to honor Christ in his body more than any temptation to honor himself? It is because to live is Christ, to die is gain. Why is Paul confident that he will not be ashamed when the time comes? It is because to live is Christ, and to die is gain. Now what does that mean? To live is Christ. Literally, there's no verb in, in, in the Greek. No verb. Literally, to live, Christ. To live, Christ. And the same thing for, for, for the other one. To die, gain. He means that his life, the, the one thing that he has been given, is consumed with the reality of Christ. So if, if, if one is consumed with the reality of Christ and is given the opportunity to speak in a way that could lead to, to my life or my death, how does that impact how you speak? For Paul, Paul's saying, he confidently says, I won't bring Jesus to shame. Jesus is my life. It would be out of character to speak any other way. To live is Christ. To live means Christ. To live means that my life is no longer my own. I've been crucified with him. It is Christ's life now. And I think this is why Paul says um, what, he, what he does about the implications of living in the future. The one thing... That he has been given his life, right? So he's got this this life that he's been given. It is for Christ. So, so to live in the flesh means fruitful labor. That's what he says there in, in verse uh, twenty three, right? To live in the flesh means um, f- fruitful fruitful labor for me. So that means that I, um, it means that bringing you know bringing honor to Christ, I, I I I can do that in the flesh. Because Christ is my life, by helping others grow their joy and progress in the faith. So when Paul concludes between the two competing desires, the one to die and the one to be with, with Christ, he concludes that their progress, their joy, is more necessary. Not not for not for Paul, not for Paul, because he says to die is gain. But for, for them, it's more necessary because honor to Christ will come as Paul shares with these brothers and sisters about the work of Jesus and with others who don't know. So, so this one thing that you're given, the one thing that, that everybody is given, is all that Christ wants and will use. So you, you, so you don't have to have a family. You don't have to have a particularly successful life in the, in the world's eyes. You don't have to have a great job. You don't have to have health. You need the one thing that, 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 that God has given you. And as the one thing he will use to glorify himself in you. It's all Christ needs from you. For honor to come to him. Your life and to die is gain it's gain because paul says in, in verse verse 23 to die is to depart and be with christ so there's an absolute conviction the only thing separating paul from christ's presence from christ's presence is is death or jesus return he doesn't mention that here he's talking about living and dying the, that is the promise that in christ you're secure, even in death. His cross over your life goes into into your life after death. It it doesn't just end at death. He will carry you through. So that final breath for Paul, that final step into what everyone everyone thinks is unknown and and fearful and. Terrorizing, that's a doorway. It's a doorway for, to be with Christ, to be with the one who loved him, the one who gave himself for him. So that to live is Christ, to die is gain. So Jesus has had such a profound impact on Paul's life that Paul cannot view the future as anything but certain in the midst of what everybody would say is uncertain. But there's so many uncertainties physically, But in Christ, his Savior, the one who died for him, who took on his shame, is the grounds of his expectant hope. I will not be ashamed. I will not be ashamed because my life is in Christ. My hope is in him. Do we see Jesus this way? Do we see that our sin, separating us from God... The shame that can bring eternal shame will bring eternal shame apart from Christ. Jesus has taken that upon himself. Do you see that he's taken it upon himself and he did this so that you would have light and life and hope and peace, real joy in the presence of God right now and forever. That is the promise uh, that, that Christ offers. If Jesus is... An add-on. i have already got this happy life. Yes, and Jesus too. He's still kind of culturally acceptable here in Shadron. He is a part of my already happy life. This happy life in the present moment. A life not longing for Jesus. For, the, for, 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 for our, in, in defining my life by him. If Jesus is merely an addition to this good life I've already got now. Then it shouldn't surprise us that death is a fearful thing. It shouldn't surprise us that death is a fearful thing if Jesus is merely an addition. So, if we're looking to Jesus for hope, we could, we could end a couple different ways. We could end hopeless. I'm not doing enough. What have I missed? If, you, if, you're, if you're looking to him, I want to close by showing the means God is using to bring honor to Christ, and will use to, to bring honor to Christ. And if, and if this passage does make a person fearful, if you are afraid, if you fear that you've seen Jesus as a side piece to, to, to an already happy life, if he's, if, if he's been not this sole focus of your vision and mission, if that's you, if you desire to honor Christ with your body, and see this is a need that I have, I think there's some encouragement for us all in, the, in this passage. If you were to ask the question to Paul, how is this going to happen? How is Christ going to be honored in my body? How can I have hope that he will, he will do this? Paul, I think, in this passage, gives four things that we'll close on, four ways that God will work in you by faith to, for Christ to be honored in your body. The first way is Christ will be honored in you by the Spirit, by the work of the Spirit. If Paul seems like his, you know, this is an unattainable Christian model, nobody's getting there, Paul must have some super ability that nobody else has, Look at the means God is using and realize that these are the same means that He's going to use in you to, to sustain you. Paul was reliant upon the Spirit. For I know that through your prayers and the help of the Spirit of Jesus Christ, or, or maybe a better way would be the supply of the Spirit in you, that will be sufficient. The Spirit will be sufficient to sustain you through any trial. New life begins by the work of the Spirit. New life is not found in your level of self-empowered devotion. I've just got to be better. I've just got to be better. Your new life begins by the Spirit's regenerating work. On the outside, I see that Jesus is satisfying and I believe. I see that Jesus is satisfying and I believe. We see he's not just... An add-on. He is everything. We see that he took on our sin. We look to Jesus for hope. However, my level of attainment is not what's saving me. The spirit in me is saving me. The spirit in me is ensuring me that I will keep believing. And here Paul calls the spirit the spirit of Christ. Because I think... I think he he can do that because it is the Spirit who expressly points us to Christ or points out who Christ is. The Spirit is the one supplying. This is why in Galatians 4, Paul talks about God sending the Spirit of his Son into our hearts and we reply, Abba, Father. The Spirit points us to worship and trust and praise Jesus. So if you're saved, you're never going to honor Christ, to look to Jesus, by, or you, if you will ever do those things, not, not never. If you will, it will be by faith, but you will, not accom- you will not accomplish that work in you. It is by the Spirit. The second thing is that Christ will be honored in you by the prayers of the saints. So P- Paul's confident that God is using these things in his life to sustain him. In verse 19, Paul says that the prayers of the Philippians are going to be a means that God is going to use to deliver Paul from shame. I don't want to be shamed. No one should want that shame. Paul says that the prayers of the saints, empowered by the work of Christ, are a means that God uses to sustain us. I think that's something that we can, in our context, overlook really quickly and just assume, like, it's me and Jesus, baby. I don't need anybody. We can minimize that and forget our desperate need to pray for one another. I don't think that's a a, throwaway line. If we are not praying for one another, if we are not lifting one another up, sustain them, sustain them, lift them up. Don't let them bring shame. Christ will be honored in us as the saints pray for one another. This also doesn't it radically kind of change the way we think about what prayer requests need to be? Like uh, you know, we we most of our prayers and I admit this, most of our prayers are that God would take the suffering away. Right? I've got this problem and it hurts and we pray for one another that That God would remove that problem. And that's a biblical way to pray. Paul Paul prayed that way. I'm not not saying that's an unbiblical way to pray. But the most urgent prayer and the most needed prayer is that Christ will be honored in us regardless of that suffering. Regardless of the circumstance that we're in. May Christ be honored. That is is the ultimate way we pray for one another. May Christ be honored in us. May we be honored. Faithful and found faithful. That's a good way to pray. If you, a great way to be involved in the body of Christ. So that's the second one. The third one is that Christ will be honored in you through experienced, convictional obedience. He's honored through experienced, Convictional obedience. Paul knows that he must look first to Jesus in his decision making. He sees that, right? So even in death, he's got to obey Christ to avoid shame. However, Paul's obedience in death wasn't founded in nothing. He had a testimony of the work of God in his life. I think that's what he means when, in verse 20, he says, With full courage, now as always... Now, as always, something has happened in me. And, and by God's grace, there's been some fruit. And I look ahead. Now, as always, Christ will be honored in my body. So in one sense, it seems that Paul, he's looking back. And he's seeing that Christ has sustained him so far. And that's one of the means God is using to give him confidence looking ahead. I don't think this is ultimate. I don't think that's, that's an ultimate means that God uses. There's lots of Christians in the past. They've gone to their death. and the, you know, I, I believe in Jesus and boom, you're dead. A you know, thief on the cross. A life full of faithfulness is not the standard for Christ to be honored in you. Christ, faith alone in Christ is. However, obedience to Christ breeds boldness in us. Walking forward in obedience, seeing the fruit that comes from obedience, does lead to a boldness and conviction that, yes, he is satisfying. I have tasted and I have seen the Lord is good. Continue to walk in it. And on the other hand, repeated cowardice conjures up fear and doubt. This is the way sin works in us. It breeds more doubt. In this case though, wherever wherever you are, there is a call, there's a call for all of us to look to Christ, trusting him. Regardless of where your past is. The last one is that Christ will be honored through the fellowship of the saints. And I think this is great how Paul ends this passage in verses 25 and 26. Notice that his physical return, what is, the, what is the impact that Paul's return is going to have on the Philippians? What are they going to do by seeing Paul? Are they going to say, Paul, you're so great. This is great. No, no. So that in me you may have ample cause to glory in Christ. So if Paul returns, they will say, God is good. Jesus is good. They will honor Christ as Paul wants to honor Christ. So if he's going to the gallows, he wants to honor Christ, even in death. And, and if, he, if he lives, he wants to go to Philippi so that they will see the marvelous salvation of God in, in just miraculously getting Paul out of jail or however God's gonna work that out. And they won't say, man, that's suffering. That was something to complain about. They'll say, Jesus is great they'll see in the life of one who is faithful to Christ, even in the face of suffering and says, Jesus is still Lord and I'll trust in him. And this is how the fellowship of the saints works among us. Two things happen when, people, when, we, when we gather as one body. We unite and testify, Jesus is still Lord. That's why we get together every Sunday. This is not just repetitive things. We say, yep, our God, he's still reigning, and we sing it and we preach it. And we also... Remember the gospel. We remember that, that, that what Christ has done is our only hope. And we testify to it to one another. Someone did that for me this week. Testifying to the work of Christ. And this is a means God uses to bring glory to Christ. So honor to Christ will come in the fellowship of the saints. If you want to wither you deny yourself of the fellowship of the saints and the testimony of saving grace. But if you desire to honor Christ in your body, fellowship with the saints is a means that God is going to use to bring honor to Christ. To live is Christ. To die is gain. To live is to live for Christ. To die is to gain an eternity with our Savior. That's the mission and vision of the people of God. To live as Christ and to die as gain. And I, I pray that, that that will be our sole focus. That will be our sole focus of honoring Christ with our bodies. And that is where true, lasting, eternal joy is found. It's the standard of Christian success. Let's pray. And yes, God, I, I pray that Jesus would be honored among us. Whether by life or by death. May his name be our most sincere desire, making him known, living for him. Even empower us now, God, that we would, that we would be bold and not give in. In Christ's name we pray, amen.